he goes and gets wings and throws them on the board. Now listen, man, this guy's breaking <laughs> barriers down. You're listening to Leafs Lunch with Julia Tusheri and Michael DeStefano on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Welcome into Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. It's Mike DiStefano and Dave Festchuk filling in for Julia to Sherry today. What's going on, Dave? How you been? As brother, I was thinking of you as I had my pre-show lunch of a couple of chicken wings I reheated. Uh, so didn't have them on a charcuterie <laughs> board, as is your custom, but I did enjoy them. Hey, chicken wings are the best wherever they are, whether it's on a charcuterie board next to, you know, a, a nice slice of pizza or even by himself. Chicken wings always can be on the menu, in my opinion. Um, no, fun day. We got uh, a couple of good guests. We got Craig J coming up in a couple of minutes. He'll join us for his weekly Thursday hit. Kelly Chase is going to join us at 105. We were taking a look at, uh, at uh, Kelly Chase's stats. So he played two games in a Maple Leafs uniform and had 27 penalty minutes. 27 Amazing. in two games. Two games. It's, oh, we got to get the breakdown. Like, what happened? What chaos ensued in those two games where you racked up 27 penalty minutes and probably, like, four minutes of actual ice time, I would imagine, based on that. So We have, we to, we get, have to get the breakdown. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a great game log. There's, he's got one game in 1997 in San Jose for the Leafs in which he got 22 penalty minutes, A.B. I mean... <laughs> It's it's uh what a different era. How much how much the game has changed, sadly. Oh, for many it, of us. it's it, 100%. It's it's changed a lot uh as we look at it. Like I can't even when was the last time the Leafs had a fight? Like it's yeah, been it's, it a hasn't while. it hasn't happened in a while. It's a good question. It's, You'd have to look like, that one up. That's uh, that's how long it's been. Yeah, it's not top of mind at all. Like I I could see though like if you look at the new guys who've come in, surprisingly Ryan O'Reilly's never been in a fight. But I'd yeah. imagine Nolachari's dropped the mitts once or twice in his career. I could see him getting Scotiabank fired up at some point here in the near future. Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. But, yeah, you're right. It's 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 shocking how much the game has changed in one generation, right? Because you look at the Maple Leafs this year. I mean, Kelly Chase has got 22 penalty minutes in one of his Maple Leaf games, 27 penalty minutes in his two games as a Leaf. There are only four guys on the roster this season who have more than 27 penalty minutes all year. <laughs> You know, uh, Michael Bundy's got 68, Giordano 47, Wayne Simmons 34, and John Tavares 28. So Kelly Chase's two games in 96-97 would slot him right in there in the in the top five on this team for the entire season. That's amazing. That's pretty that's, incredible. Uh, that's, that's the difference in the modern-day NHL. Um, least back at practice today after an off day yesterday. It's actually the first practice that Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Chari will have, their first full yes. practice since Toronto Maple Leafs. So, um, like, that should be beneficial for them, right? Like, I would they, think, yeah. I, I mean, not to say that they have struggled at all in their first couple of games. He had a hat trick from Ryan O'Reilly the other night. Noel Chari has been terrific as well. But now getting a nice full practice in, they'll get to learn and understand the systems a little bit more. I mean, this is so far, it's, it's been a great start for this team. But it could only go up from here. Well, I say it can well, only go up. But, you know, you'd think there's still another level maybe it could get to when they start to really file in and figure things out uh, with this system with the Leafs. Yeah, I don't know if it can go up from, you know, the second yeah, line pretty... combining for 14 points in Buffalo right. the other night. I was I was down there at that game, and it was it was quite the quite the phenomenon to be in that arena. It's always fun to be in that arena when the Leafs are in town. But that, that was a special night for those guys. And, and you, But you have to believe you're right. Like, 
I think these two guys are, are really good additions. As much as we can debate, you know, by the end of the trade deadline, whether or not Kyle Dubas can add the defenseman, I think both of, both you and I agree they need. Um, you know, these guys are really good good teammates and good guys to have around because I think they're kind of both a little bit of a Swiss Army knife. Like, I think you yeah. could rely on both to do so many different things for your team. Uh, Noel Ashari, we've already seen him, you know, and we've already heard Sheldon Keefe raving about the fact that this fourth line has never looked better than it's looked with him at centering, uh, centering it. And yeah, that's without a practice. This is that's without his first practice today being in the books. And then obviously Ryan O'Reilly, whether he's playing center, which he has been, whether he's going to play wing for you, whether he's going to be up and down the lineup, uh, this is a guy I think who's just going to add a lot of qualities beyond. You know, the stat sheet, which, of course, has been pretty impressive so far to begin with. Yeah, so we'll, we'll dive a little bit deeper into those guys when Kelly Chase joins us in the 1 o'clock hour. Former uh, you know, Blues alumna, played for both the Blues and the Maple Leafs. Um, Craig Jo joins us in a couple of minutes. Really quickly, before we get to, to Craig... Uh, quick update at least practice today. Sounds like Rasmus Sandin is taking part in practice after missing the last couple of games with uh, a suspected upper body injury. So the pairing shaking out uh, with Riley Brody, Gio Lilligren, and then Sandin and Hall back together as uh, as the third pair. And I mean, you got, you'd have to think that if the Maple Leafs don't make a move, this is probably your six man unit heading into the playoffs, slotted exactly that way. You'd think. Yeah, if they don't if they don't make a move, you're going exactly that. It's Riley Brody up top. You got Giordano and Lilligren as your shutdown pair, and then it's Sandine and Hall as your third pair. Yep. All right. I believe Craig J is on the line. Craig Bunner, TSN hockey analyst. How's it going this Thursday morning, Craig? Or afternoon now? Yeah, it's going great. It's still morning where I am in Alberta. It's minus forty with the wind chill, a little bit of snow. But uh, I'm in front of the fireplace watching curling. I love the curling. I think TSN coverage of curling is out of this world phenomenal. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah. The curling is great. And, uh, I mean, the, the broadcast team and, uh, and everybody that, that does the production, it's phenomenal. It's absolutely phenomenal. So you said there's a little bit of snow. Toronto got themselves quite the snow dump over uh, overnight. Did you guys get the same out in Alberta, or how's the snow situation there? We've had 40 centimeters in the last 48 hours, so go cry about your couple inches. <laughs> <laughs> I will, Craig. I will. Uh, we haven't had a chance to catch up with you since the trade last week. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly, a late Friday night one going down. O'Reilly and Achari have, have come into the lineup. And um, what have been your early impressions on uh, what impact they've had with the Leafs? Early impressions? I mean, I, I can tell you this. I didn't even need to watch it. I would know what the early impressions are. The early impressions are outstanding because Ryan O'Reilly has been that. And, you know, Noel Achari just gives you more depth deeper down in the lineup. Gives you, gives you options, gives you weight, you know, gives you some opportunity to put him in spots to take face-offs that, you know, become critical at different points of the playoffs. But, I mean, it's, I, mean I, I thought Morgan Riley summed it up perfectly last Saturday. You know, when he was asked about, you know, the trade and everything, he goes, we're a stronger team today than we were before we made the trade. Bottom line, that's what they are. And there's, there's absolutely zero indication at this point in time that that won't uh, continue to be the case from Ryan O'Reilly and Nola Chari. Craig, so you sat in that seat that Kyle Dubas is occupying. Obviously, a lot of pressure on him to make this the year that it all works in the playoffs. You assess your roster. You heard us just running down those defensive pairings. Riley Brody, Giordano Lilligren, Sandine Hall. 
What is your level of urgency to add to that defense core between now and the March 3rd trade deadline? I would say hi, Dave. I would say hi. And, you know, obviously the news about Jake Muzzin, it wasn't surprising, but it, it, it now puts uh, everything into total uh, focus, uh, of, you know, with the absence of him going forward. I, I, I don't think there's any question that the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs adding a defenseman, adding a, a defenseman that can play in your, uh, your top two pairs, uh, and, and really probably your second pair, would, would be something that would strengthen this team even further. And, you know, one of the things that the playoffs, uh, you know, uh, you know, demonstrate is that, you know, when you're playing the same team, you know, you start to focus in on areas where you think you can exploit, where you can lean on a team and try to open up opportunities. And I don't think that the Tampa Bay Lightning uh, are looking at uh, Toronto and not seeing that the blue line is an area to, to try to exploit. And doesn't mean that they're not good, but I, I think that's the area that if you're Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs, you're looking at trying to solidify and strengthen. Because if you're Tampa Bay, that's where you're zeroing in to try to take advantage. So is there a certain type of player maybe that you think they should go after? Like there's, there's been the, you know, now that Jake Muzzin's officially gone, like that seems to be a, a type of player that they could add. But is there someone out there that you look at as maybe a good fit for this team? Yeah, like I mean, like I think it's got to be somebody that's uh, that kind of fits the the physical stature of, of a Jake Muzzin. We know that the Toronto Maple Leafs. You, you know the way they play. They want to. They want to have players on the back end that can move the puck, think, and and really get the puck moving to those forwards. And and, and that's essential to, to to be a good team and and, and to strengthen your group. So there's there's number. Like I think. I mean, you, you can run through the trade bait board and you, and you can talk about Chikrin and you can talk about Gavrikov. You can talk about Jake McCabe and. You know, you can talk about Kevin Shattenkirk, or you can talk about John Klingberg. I mean, I, I'm just mentioning some names that are out there, five names. But the physical, physical stature, they all have it. They all, they're all good puck movers. You know, some are a little bit more weighted to, 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 to defending. Some are a little bit more weighted to moving the puck. But I think that, you know, when you, when you talk about that, just that group of five, and, and there, there can be others, you're looking at players that – you know, still fit the mold uh, or the, the identity of what they want in puck moving and getting it, and getting the puck out of your own zone. But they also add, you know, some some weight and, 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 and they add some size and reach and length. You know, Gabrikov plays differently than John Klingberg, who plays different than Kevin Shattenkirk, who plays different than Jake McKay, but they all add some size. I, I don't think the Leafs need a smaller defenseman. I don't think that is something that's going to help them. And yeah. No doubt about it. So I think we're all in agreement on that, uh, Craig. But And I think, look, the shopping list, it could be never-ending if you're a GM and yeah. you want to spend assets. But So if, you, if you're set on the idea that they're going to get a defenseman, what would be your feeling on the goaltending? Because we do know that Matt Murray, as much as he is a proven two-time Stanley Cup champion, you can't take those rings away from him, he has also been a very unreliable presence on this team, continues to be out with an injury. He's had multiple absences from the lineup uh, with various injuries this season and in the past seasons. How much would you be concerned that you know, you'd be relying on Ilya Samsonov, a guy with one career playoff win to his name, as your number one, 
and possibly a, a backup situation of a Joseph Wall, relatively unproven, a, an Eric Schalgren, relatively unproven, if you can't rely on Matt Murray, and how would you sort of approach that between now and Friday's deadline, Craig? So, Dave, like, I think that it's clear that, uh, you know, when you look at Matt Murray, and nobody's taking away his Stanley Cup rings. He, he was really significant. But even in the second one, if you go back and look at it, and you pointed it out, 2017, he didn't make it through the warm-up of game one of the playoffs. Right. And Marc-Andre Fleury was there. And, I mean, uh, Matt came in during the uh, conference final versus Ottawa and, you know, then, then rode it. But, I mean, even, even then, like, so this is not something that's new. And, and, and it's something that, that uh, I, I think when you look at Matt Murray, it's there. It's, it's not going away. It's there. So now you ask me, what's your level of comfort? I'll tell you what, it's not high. When I said urgency is high for a defenseman, well, it, your, your confidence isn't high in this case. I, I really believe that he's got to go find a, 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 a capable number two goaltender at the very least. I mean, I just, I mean, number one goaltenders are, are not a good, but, but a capable goaltender with experience that can come in. You know, who they are and, and, and who's available and, and whatnot, I mean, that's something you got to explore. But, but I don't think. You, you know, if you're Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs, that you're going to, you know, be really enthusiastic about reaching next Friday at 3 p.m. and not having uh, an NHL goaltender in your in your group that has experience to, to go in the playoffs. Because I, I think that that becomes a really important. If, if you ask me, given a choice, I think a defenseman absolutely helps, but a goaltender would be one that would give you a lot more comfort. We're chatting with Craig Butner, TSN hockey analyst. And, uh, Craig, Austin Matthews has been held pointless in, in the last couple of games. Just one goal since returning. It, it just He's kind of been a little bit silent and, and quiet to what we expect Austin Matthews to be. How affected do you think he's been by being split up with Mitch Marner? Because we saw him last year, played the best he's ever played. And this season, it, he just hasn't been able to get back to that level. I mean, not to say that Nylander's not a, a terrific piece but uh, and a terrific player to play with, but I don't know. Do you, do you think that there's something to it where he's just not – he hasn't been as effective, and maybe that's due to the fact that he's not playing on a line with, with Mitch Marner? I think he's a bum. I think that it's clear now. Like, you know, overrated, <laughs> he's a bum. Like, you know, well, you, you just bring up, you know, I, all kidding aside, full, full, full tongue-in-cheek there. Uh, is William Elander having a career season? He yeah. is. Well, Austin Matthews is a big part of that. So yes. I watch Austin Matthews play, and I watch how, you know, he had 60 goals last year. And, 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 and that's, I mean, the last guy to do that was Stamkos in 2012. So, I mean, this is not an easy feat to do. Austin Matthews is a top-notch player. Okay, we know that he had an injury, you know, and, and, and missed the three weeks. And, you know, he missed a little bit before that. And who knows what was ailing him. All I know, I think that Austin, you know, we know he doesn't kill penalties. And for me, this is just my own thing. I think to win the Selkie Trophy, you have to, be, you have to kill penalties. But that doesn't mean because you don't kill penalties, you're not a really good two-way centerman, a really good all-around centerman. And that's what I, I see Austin's game being even better as, a, as an all-around two-way centerman. Think about the goal uh, that he created the other uh, on Tuesday in Buffalo in the neutral zone where he creates the turnover and Bunting goes the other way. 
I mean, yep. those are the types of plays that Austin Matthews has been doing. They were without defensemen for long stretches of, of the year this year, where they asked their forwards to come deeper, especially their sentiment, to come deeper down and really support the defensive effort. Austin Matthews has been a big part of that. I have zero concerns about Austin Matthews. And the other thing with Sheldon Keith is, you know, you watch how Nylander's playing. That's a, you know, that's been a big part of what Austin has been able to contribute. You know, you watch how Mitch plays. I mean, Mitch, Mitch is a top-notch player. But it gives Sheldon Keith options. Like, you know, depending on how things start to shake out come playoff time against the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know now, okay, Tavares can play with Marner. Nylander can benefit from Matthews. You already know what Matthews and Marner can do. So taking it to, to this end and conclusion is, when I look at it is, now you know what Austin and, and Mitch can do. Now you see what Ryan O'Reilly and, and Marner and Tavares can do. And, and now you, you can position yourself come the most important time for this Toronto Maple Leafs team, which is the playoffs, to be able to exercise those strengths. The strength of Marner and Matthews hasn't gone away, but they, I think they've added strengths in other areas that can definitely help them. You talk about the injuries on, on defense, uh, Craig, and obviously one of them uh, was to Morgan Riley, who missed a, a 15-game stretch. And I, I'm interested in your take on that because we've talked about it on this show. During that 15-game stretch without Toronto's number one defenseman, Craig, the Leafs became the best defensive team in the league by a lot of measures. You know, they had 32 goals against in those 15 games when Riley was on the sidelines. He's come back in the 23 games since, and they've been more of a mediocre defensive team, and he hasn't been himself. You know, he's been a, he's been a big minus in, in a handful of games, a minus three the other night against Chicago in a disappointing loss. He's looked uneven to be kind. What do you make of that, and, and you know, what does it say about a team that, that played so well defensively without their number one guy, and now that the number one guy's back, it hasn't gone quite as seamlessly? Yeah, and, and, and I, I mean, Morgan would be the first one to recognize that, and, and Morgan has high standards, and, you know, all, all that assessment is fair. So, you know, one of the things that happens with players when they end up with uh, a leg injury in the case that that's why Morgan missed games was, you know, you, you don't get to – you lose that when you're rehabbing that. You, you can keep your upper body, but all the things that help you be a real significant player, and for Morgan, the stating is the standout quality – you know, getting back into rhythm, getting back in. And it's not just skating forward in the speed. It's turning. It's handi- handling the leverage and handling the, the, the one-on-one battles. So what I would say to this is, you know, I think that, you, you know, for Morgan, we, we, he knows that, that, that he's got another level that he can hit, and I think he will hit it. I think now where the Leafs find themselves, it's about understanding. Let's make sure that he continues to build his game, continues to – strengthen it, and, and find that, that, that rhythm that makes him a real solid player. And he, and he just adds to a defensive effort that has been good. But, I, I, again, he, he, like Austin Matthews, like I want them on my team and I'm not concerned about them, despite you know what, what we might call some recent I, – I wouldn't call them wobbles. I would just say some level that we, that, we don't, that we rarely see them play at. We usually see them play at a much higher level, but I'm not concerned about either one of them. Craig, have you ever seen the narrative of one player change within the matter of a week than you have with Patrick Kane? I mean, since last week after that Toronto game, you know, didn't play very well. Since then, he's come alive. Seven goals, three assists in four games. 
I mean, like I said, a week ago it was always oh, washed, just doesn't have it anymore, and now all of a sudden it's wow, this guy looks like he's showtime again. Listen, you want to doubt Patrick Kane? I'm going to doubt you. So go ahead, go <laughs> doubt him, because I could understand if it was if it was years and years. He was a dominant player last year. You know, AB and Dave, this happens all the time in scouting. If you want to go catch a player play good, and you think he's a good player because he played good, or he's not a good player because he didn't play good. You're going to make lots of mistakes. It's not about watching a player over a short stretch of period of time. Patrick Kane's resume is unbelievable. He's a difference maker. How many difference makers are there in the league? Not that many. And, you know, one of the biggest things that I think has affected Patrick Kane, we know what a great Chicago Blackhawks player he has been. Last summer, they burned the house down. They burned the house down. And now you're trying to not only play, but you're trying to, you know, get your head wrapped around. This is a team I care about. This is a team that I want to be helping win, not, not sitting here with all this uncertainty around him. And then, okay, is he going to stay? Is he going to go? And you can bet that him and Jonathan Taze have had lots of conversations about it. But that's a big factor for a player that, that, that has given everything to the Chicago Blackhawks, and I've said it. There'll be a statue outside the United Center one day of Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tate. So all those factors go together. Doubt Patrick Kane at your peril. He's a difference maker. And there's only one thing that'll keep me from not believing that Patrick Kane cannot help your team, and that's broken legs. <laughs> yeah. Well, there, uh, but there, was, there was the concern over the hip. Like, there was, there was concern over the hip Who injury. The hip? Yeah. Speculation. Okay, that's fair enough. Fair enough. There's yeah, speculation okay. about never, that. But. I, never, I never doubted Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane can come and play for me any day of the week, any second of the day. Well, interestingly, New York ended up making that move to bring in Tarasenko, but reports now coming out of Chicago and New York that there still could be some interest in uniting these two if they can make it work cap-wise. Like, if you're Chris Drury, how aggressive would you be to try and make that happen? Would you be willing to give up, like, a good young roster player to make the money work? Well, who's the good young roster player? Right. Well, I've gone through cap-friendly. Like, there's a... There's... <sighs> There's not a whole lot of guys that you would want to move out, but let's say, I don't know, like a Capo Caco who hasn't necessarily played up to his potential. I know he's, he's having a better season this year, but as for money, I mean, that would work moving that out, but it's it's tough. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so you, you want to win the Stanley Cup, and, and, and you've got a team that's really good in New York, right? And you've got to consider a difference maker like like Patrick Kane potentially sacrificing a young player like Capo Caco. There's a price to winning. There's a price to doing it. And, you know, you start to look at it and you start to think, okay, well, we got Brendan Othman, who, who, who's, a, who's a good young player. You know, so if we get Kane and we think Othman can come in next year, is that worth it? So we're not talking about a player that you're kind of going, well, we'll see, you know, it makes us a little bit better. He's a difference maker, Patrick Kane. And, Chris Drury has won a Stanley Cup as a player. He's positioned the New York Rangers last year, making moves that made them better right for the conference final. And to me, Chris knows the price. He's paid the price. And he, he knows that if you want to win, there's, no, there's nothing, there's no, there's no uh, situation that you can't consider. Like, there's things that are prohibitive. I get it with the cap and everything. But at the end of the day, if winning was easy, 
And these decisions were easy. Everybody do it. Chris Drury's not afraid of hard decisions. Hey, so my Craig, answer we... is yes. My answer is yes, I would do that. Okay. Trade made. Capo <laughs> out. Patrick Kane in. And uh, who knows where it's heading from there. Hey, uh, Craig, I wanted to get your take. We, we're having Kelly Chase on in a little while, and his esteemed career in the NHL included a two-game stint in Toronto where he racked up 27 penalty minutes in two games. Pretty good, pretty good. Now, you were that was in the late 90s, Craig. You were a, uh, you know an executive, a GM around that time, uh, winning your Stanley Cup in Dallas, moving on to Calgary. And I, I've talked to a lot of veteran players in the last few years, and one of the things I keep hearing is when they talk to fans, people say they miss that violence. They miss the enforcer. They miss that, you know, the blood and guts that used to be a big part of the NHL. Um, obviously, we've just we've gone so far past it, we're not going back. But, but how do you see that as someone who's been a hockey lifer? Nostalgically, <laughs> you know, yeah. listen, it was a t- it was a time of it was a, it was an era and a time of the game that uh, you know existed. And you, you, you know what? Like, it, it, you call it whatever you want, violent, pugilistic. I mean, that's the way the, the game rapidly, the, the league rapidly expanded. And you know, with it came uh, a, a, a scenario where you were trying to add a lot of different players and different players that did different things and. So I mean that, that that was something that, that that was that was born out. But even during that era, think about some of the things that came in the instigator penalty, right? Like yep. you know, I mean, the, you know, late in a game and, and and the different things that evolved. I mean, it was already happening when, when that when that style of game uh, when that era was in play. We we remembered and, and we go back to it. Oh, that was fun and everything. But you know, the game changes in, in, in a lot of different ways. If you go back. Montreal Canadiens in the 50s, they, they won those five Stanley Cups. The power play was unbelievable. That was their enforcer. Now, when the league decided the other five teams conspired against the Montreal Canadiens to, to change the power play rules, which said you didn't have to serve the full penalty once they scored, because you used to have to serve the full penalty, and they could score right. as many goals as you wanted. So nobody took the risk with the, uh, with the Montreal Canadiens. Well, that changed. And then all mm-hmm. of a sudden, what ends up happening? People are taking liberties with Richard and Bellavo and everything. And what did Sammy Pollock do? He brought in John Ferguson. And what right. did Montreal Canadiens go and do? They started to win again. <laughs> so there's, you, you know, you can go back to that, and and you can see where you know there's responses, and you try to understand. Okay, we need to do this now to do that to to, to affect positive outcomes. When, when Kelly was playing, that was part of the game, and, and and everybody was looking for those players, and you needed those players. But the, the, the air is different today, and we're not, as you point out, we're not going back. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't a good time for the NHL. But like anything else in life, you know, there's a progression and, and there's development, and absolutely there's evolution. The players today, ironically, coincidentally, whatever word you want to use, sometimes I use the wrong word, but 2004, 2005 with the lockout. And this year's draft class is all the 05 players. They don't even know that era. Right. They hear about it. And kids born in 98, 97, even up to that, they don't know that era. It's not an era that for them is on their minds. They're on this era. And like everything, eras change. You know, We've gone from a flip phone to the iPhone. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's it's a good point, and and you know, I guess I didn't really watch much hockey in the '90s. Like I was just starting to get into it in the early 2000s, so there's still a little bit of that. But it's definitely it's a big change between you know the last 20 years, I suppose. And I'm sure 20 years from now there'll be you know there'll be another change of some kind, and it'll look a little bit different. Uh, appreciate it as always, Craig. Uh, we got what eight days till the trade deadline, so next time we speak will be. 24 hours before the deadline so looking forward to it and uh enjoy your weekend i'll be in studio next thursday count Ooh, All in right. studio i'll be in studio next thursday for this hit so uh, i'm there in toronto and so i'm looking forward to it it's always a great you guys have a good weekend say hi to kelly chase send him my best i'll tell you what kelly is a great example of a player who found a way to get to the NHL and was going to do whatever it took and pay the price. And, you know, we should celebrate that as well. Absolutely. Will do. We'll send them, uh, send me your best. Appreciate it, Craig. Take care. There he goes. Craig J. Button, TSN hockey analyst, uh, hockey lifer, as, uh, as you eloquently put it there, uh, <laughs> Dave, I was about to call you Craig again. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 you know, you do talk to a lot of people, and, and I'm sure, like, you and I are different generations, but even, you know, a lot of people that I've spoken to in my friend groups do feel the same way that, you know, the the game, there's just not a whole lot of animosity uh, yeah. from game to game. Like, we were just trying to think of the last time we saw a fight with the Maple Leafs 20 minutes ago, and we were having trouble figuring, like, couldn't remember when it was because it was so long ago. Like maybe the the Simmons Felino. Has there been a fight since that one? I don't remember back one. in Boston. I, I could be wrong. Yeah, no. It's 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 amazing how it's changed. And 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 you're right. Like the idea that guys go through their whole career and never have a fighting major. Um, and and plenty of guys now. Like there's you know there'll be plenty. Ryan of guys O'Reilly. Who do that. that surprised me. I, that I is a little bit up, surprising. Totally. That is a little bit surprising. But um, you're right. It's it's just it's such a change. And and I do think. Look, there's still the nostalgia f- factor, right? I, like for a lot of people, everything was better when they were kids, and everything was better when they were enjoying it, it the first time. And maybe, maybe that is the era you like the best is the era in which you kind of fall in love with the game, right? And for me, that was the '80s. For you, it was the early 2000s. And so maybe we see the game a little bit differently. Um, but I'm I'm with Craig. Like it's it's it should be celebrated. Those guys that that did that line of work. Uh, as much as we knew it had to end and it'll never go back to that, those guys, they gave a lot to the game, man. They gave their blood, Absolutely. they gave their sweats, they gave their brain cells, man. And, and in a lot of ways, they gave their lives. And, and so for the entertainment of people and obviously for, to earn a living for their families. But, um, you know, I'm not sure you can say the same today. But I think there's, there can be an upping, A.B. I, I don't think you need the fighting for there to be an upping of the animosity. Like and I think you just need more guys that that want to kill each other out there, figuratively, not literally, right? And yeah. I think that's you know there's and maybe you see that in the playoffs. You see that in the playoffs. Well, that's the and, thing you do. So like it's it's in there, and they want to play that way when it comes down to playing for something. But it just seems like the regular season just doesn't have enough meaning for guys, and they're not willing to put their body on the line. Like you know you you see like in in the NFL. 
you know, one game means so much more because there's there's less of them, right? So if you do play poorly, you take that loss. That's that's one step behind when you're looking to go for a playoff race. Whereas one game doesn't have a whole lot of meaning here in the NHL. Like we heard, uh, you know, like this game on Sunday when they lost to the Chicago Blackhawks. There was a lot of people just saying, "Ah, it was the second night of a back-to-back," and yes. you know they were riding on fumes after riding a, a high on Saturday night for the O'Reilly debut, and it was just brushed aside. Well, you know, if if games can be brushed aside, then of course there's not going to be that type of animosity. The give a bleep level kind of shrinks on on some nights. So, and, but it's it's much more meaningful come the postseason. So maybe that's that's a way that they need to figure out a way to make the regular season mean more, and yeah. that could help you know, improve the animosity and help improve the give-a-bleep meter for, of these players. I don't know how to do that, but uh, the NHL, if, if they could figure that out and put more meaning behind it, maybe that changes things. Yeah, no, it's been an eternal question, right? Like, I mean, we've seen the NBA go to the load management era, and we talk, we've heard the commissioner himself in the NBA talk about how it's a huge oh. problem. You know, like, our star players don't show up to work a lot of times, and, and ticket buyers and people watching on TV are disappointed on a regular basis because the, the marquee well, names look at the NHL. Look what they're doing in the NHL right now. It's, it's not the exact same thing, but they're sitting people out for trade-related reasons. Jacob yeah. Chikrin hasn't played in almost two weeks. I know. Two weeks, and he's not going to play between now and March 3rd. It came out yesterday that uh, that they said, yeah, no, he's not going to play. The GM said he's not going to play between now and the deadline. Um, and even if they don't trade him, they're comfortable and they'll bring him back afterwards. But between now and then, you're not going to see Jacob Trickett in the lineup. You're not going to see Gavrikov back in the lineup. Luke Shen sat the other day due to trade-related reasons. Um, like, this is, it's, I don't know, it's becoming a thing where people, they the games in the regular season just don't have as much impact and meaning, and they're okay sitting guys yeah. out and not playing. Yeah, and I think there's also, I think you're right, and I, I'm not sure exactly the, the purpose these trade-related reasons absences serve because, you know, it's it's like with Jake Chickren, it's not clear that they're ever going to trade the guy. They've been trying to trade him forever, and for why he's sitting out now doesn't make sense to me. But But to me, the other thing is, to your point earlier about how sometimes it seems like the games don't mean enough uh, for players. Like, the Maple Leafs are a good case in point. Like, there's nothing they can do right now to change anybody's opinion about the way their team is constructed, and, and they're waiting for the playoffs, essentially. So it's almost like a self-imposed load management. Like, I'm not going to do too much tonight if I'm any one of the Maple Leafs. I'm going to do the. I'm going to do enough. But when, it's like the other night in Buffalo, I, I, I heard from a bunch of readers of uh, my story about the save, you know, their what, what what was a blowout. They're up five nothing against the Sabers. It turned into a six three game, but you can't. To me, like it's almost like you can't really blame the Leafs for letting up when you're up five nothing in a game that doesn't mean all that much to begin with. Yeah, are you really going to play like you know your heart out for the you know the final two periods? Right. It's it's pretty tough. That's pretty tough sledding. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Kelly Chase still to join us in the one o'clock hour. We got our Thursday three pack. Uh, to come as well. We're taking a look at follow-up trades. See who may be on in uh, you know in the eyes of Kyle Dubas, or at least we're putting our GM caps on to see uh, who our new trade targets would be for the Maple Leafs between now and next Friday's NHL trade deadline. But on the other side, I want to get into a conversation about Jake Muzzin and, and you know the void um, that that clearly leaves the team and whether or not they, a trade needs to be made. 
um, mm-hmm. to to address you know his loss in the lineup and to help bolster this this team and this blue line. So we'll get into that conversation on the other side. I'm Mike DiStefano with Dave Feshuk of the Toronto Star. Who's in the Leafs lunch here on TSN 1050. Without Jake Wendt, who will fill that role in the postseason as, as your shutdown pair against Tampa Bay? Last year it was Muzzin and Brody. This year it's who? It will be uh, a good question. It's not going to be Morgan <laughs> Riley, whoever he plays with, right? Like he's the offensive guy. He's only going to play 20 minutes. It's going to be the combination of those two, whether it's Sandy and Lilligren on the third pair, Hall and Giordano. But where Giordano and Lilligren, and then Sandine and Hall, like some version of that, which probably might not instill the most confidence. Hmm. Yeah. MJ was flustered by that one. Uh, Lease Busters will get you out of your car lease today. It's as easy as pie, a piece of cake, avoid penalties, and early termination fees. Visit leasebusters.com. So we got the news yesterday, Dave, that uh, with Dave Feshuk of the Toronto Star, by the way, Mike DiStefano, Julia Sherry will join us again tomorrow. She's off for the day. Um, but we got the news yesterday that uh, Jake Muzzin's season officially over, both regular and postseason, and he'll get reevaluated in September when training camp rolls around. Uh, but the question on the ice is, does this team, like, do they have enough on the blue line to get through a playoffs. Like last year, Muzzin and TJ Brody were great, right? As the right. shutdown duo in the playoffs. Do they have that? Can somebody fill that void? And I'm not so sure they can. Like right now, we look at the pairings in practice today. Riley, Brody, Gio, and Lilligren, and then you've got Sandine and Justin Hall. Do any of those pairs, do you look at them and say, yeah, they could be a great shutdown pair against... Tampa's top two lines. I, I'm not certain I see that. No, MJ's answer to the question we bumped in with there says it all. Like there's yeah. there is no there's no answer in these six guys in your top six right now in terms of the defensemen. Because last year, if you look at it last year, it worked well because you had Riley Labushkin was your top pair, and I thought that was a good pair for Morgan Riley because Labushkin was a guy, stay-at-home guy, who could also handle the tough work in front of the net, clearing, clearing out the traffic, and then it freed up Muzzin and Brody to go to work against top matchups uh, with, with Mark Giordano properly slotted as a third-pairing guy and Justin Hall alongside him. And, 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 you know, I don't think defense was the problem there. They played, they played Tampa tough in a seven-game series, and the reasons they lost were not personnel-related on the back end. This year, with Riley Brody, I think that's a good pair. That's a good number-one pair. But if you're looking at Mark Giordano and Timothy Lilligren as your tough matchup pair right now, I just, I just can't see that. I just, I just do not feel comfortable going in to a postseason series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. Against that, I think John Cooper, as uh, opposing head coach, would feed on that, would absolutely abuse the privilege of playing against those guys on a regular basis, and it would be very tough to overcome. And I just don't see in, in Rasmus Sandin and Justin Hall, I don't see a guy who can step into that second pairing uh, and be comfortable. So to me, this is, you know, need number one before Ryan O'Reilly, before Noel Ashari, before any goaltender. And I know Craig Button believes, as I do, that they should get some insurance in the net. Before any of that, I've got to address the fact that I don't have a shutdown pair right now and i got to find a guy to play on it. 
Yeah, I'm with you. Like I've I've like admittedly was a bit of a flip flopper over the last few months as to whether or not I thought I was on team need to get a top six board or team need to get a top four defenseman. But over the last couple of weeks, after what I've seen from you know Sandine getting bodied out a couple of times in those harder games against Boston and against Tampa or against uh, the Rangers, and then just seeing Justin Hall struggling and even Morgan Riley has has struggled a lot. Like he's been on the ice for. Uh, a goal for five straight games, been on the ice for seven goals in those five games, um, and they've switched around deep pairings of late, especially with the Sandine injury. Things look a little different, and it still hasn't looked great. So I'm with you. I still believe that this team uh, needs to go out and address the blue line, get a top-four guy. I, I look at this in, in this way, and, and I think you'll appreciate this analogy, Dave, but like back in 20, it was a 2015 when uh, the Blue Jays went all in with the with the two low and the David Price that season. Yep. Mm-hmm. So I look at this trade, the Ryan O'Reilly deal, as the two low acquisition, right? Kind of yep. came late late in the night, uh, not necessarily out of nowhere, but somewhat, and it, it it invigorated the team, right? And then on deadline day, I think they need to go and get their David Price and land a top four defenseman. And that's uh, like if that means emptying the cupboard in the way that the Blue uh, Blue Jays did, so yeah. be it. This is the year to get it done. I think Kyle Dubas knows that, and I think that he has the okay to be aggressive in that way. If that means giving up picks and additional picks and prospects, uh, I think he's got to do it. I, I see this team has maybe one hole going forward, uh, and that's on the blue line. And if you believe that this team has an actual op- uh, opportunity to win a Stanley Cup, you want to leave no stone unturned. You want to make sure that there's no question marks. And six weeks from now, you're not banging yourself, uh, banging your head on, on the table saying, why didn't I make that deal to right. bring in player X to, to help this team? So if if I'm Kyle Dubas, I, I for sure am still you know, hunting the D market and trying to bring in not, not another depth defenseman like a Luke Shen. I, I believe this team needs a top four guy, whether mm-hmm. that's to play with, with Morgan Riley. Like you mentioned, Last year, Riley Labushkin was a good good pairing, and that worked. It if they worked. can bring in a guy like that, maybe you know somebody who could play a similar role, a de- defensive defenseman, to play alongside Riley, now all of a sudden you got T.J. Brody, who we know is a good defensive defenseman, great stick. He can shut down plays. You play him with... You could play him with Giordano if you want, yeah. and you can move him to the right side. You could play him with Justin Hall. We, as much as you know, Hall gives you the heebie-jeebies, we've oh, yes, seen that does. pair... But we've seen that pair have success when he's playing with T.J. Brody. Brody always elevates whomever he plays with. Yes. And then that slots Giordano pretty good on the third line, uh, on a third pair with, with Timothy Lilligren, who we know that's a terrific pairing and they work. And uh, as a third pair who can be, you know, not have to take on a, a tougher minutes, that's that's an elite third pair in my opinion. Like that's yeah. where I'm looking at and I see maybe this is a, an angle the, the Leafs could take ahead of the deadline. Yeah, look, there's there's a lot of ways you can do it. I mean, I and I could I agree with you there. My problem, the only problem with the, that scenario, if you brought in a Labushkin esque player at the deadline and, and paired him with Riley as you had Riley Labushkin last year, the problem there is you're essentially asking Mark Giordano to play the role of Jake Muzzin, right? And and maybe he can. Like, there's been moments. Look, he's been the de facto number one at times when Riley's been out, when Brody's been out. It's been Giordano playing the big minutes for the Maple Leafs, and he's handled it well. But he he also is the oldest skater in the league. And I think to be fair to him and allow him to shine and play his best hockey, I think the third pair is the best place for him. And, and asking him to be suddenly the heavy minutes, tough situation, defense's own face-off against the best players on the other team, 
I'm not sure that's going to serve Marciordano's interests or the team's interests in, in the same way. So that's why, I, look, I know it's not going to be easy. I know you're going to have to give up assets, but I, you know, I'm thinking more of a, a, late, a little bit of an upgrade over Labushkin if you're talking uh, a guy with a oh, little I more agree. Stanley Cup experience who can actually be a Jake Muzzin type. You know, you're looking for a replacement for Jake Muzzin in short yeah. order here. And that's not, I'm not saying they don't grow out trees. They're not easy to find, but that's, that's the home run. No, I, I agree. I'm not like when I say Labushkin, I mean more so as a, a style. I would prefer a better player than sure. Ilya Labushkin, but just that style of guy. Like like a Connor Murphy's a player who I've always been high on. And I think that if they could somehow get Connor Murphy out of Chicago and make that yeah. work, like he alongside with Morgan Riley, I think would be a great pairing. Like he, he plays a stout defensive game. He's heavy, he's tough to play against. He'll clear the front of the nets, he can kill penalties, um, which is another area, not of concern but an area that I think could use improvement also. Mm-hmm. So he's a, a player that I'm thinking about as like a, a top option. Um, so that that's that's the type of guy who I'm thinking. You know what's interestingly, uh, you know, what's curious, I suppose, we haven't mm-hmm. seen Brody and Lilligren play a whole lot together. That's true. I wonder if that's something down the stretch, if we get a look at that at some point. We know that there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of moving parts with this blue line, and it's been very fluid. And the the lineup as a whole, with with Sheldon Keefe just trying to get a look at things. T.J. Brody and Timothy Lilligren have only played 26 minutes together all season. So I wonder if at some point they get a couple games, because that could also be an option um, down the stretch. If you don't yeah. want to put Giordano in a top four role, maybe you trust that Lilligren could do it alongside Brody as a shutdown pair. Look, I, I think that's a possibility for sure. I do think the one thing they got to be sensitive to here is making making sure that Morgan Riley's comfortable. Because we just had that conversation with Craig Button about, look, this has been a tough year for Morgan Riley. You're coming off a leg injury. You're, you missed 15 games, and the team played very well without you. Uh, in fact, they played their best defensive hockey without you this season. Um, and so I think taking Brody away from him and, and making him adjust to a new guy or whatever you know happens post-trade deadline could be, it could, maybe it solves one problem, to your point, maybe it solves one problem and it elevates Timothy Lilligren, but what does it do to Morgan Riley? And that's, yeah, that's, that's something you gotta that's something you gotta be concerned about too. So there is no easy answer there. Look, Riley, if anybody can adjust to a new partner, it's been it'll be Morgan Riley because well, the guy's had the guy's had countless partners during <laughs> his time as the longest tenured right. Maple Leaf, and he's always dealt with it, uh, you know, without complaint and and often done very well to to adjust quickly, but. But you're right. There's no there's no easy answer. There's a, there's a long list of players, and we're going to get to some of our wish list later in the show. But uh, man, this is this is go time for Kyle Dubas in terms of finding a D man, in my opinion. And, and if if, yep. if 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 Friday 3 p.m. comes and goes uh, without a significant upgrade on the back end, I think I think you're a worse defensive team than you were a year ago, and that's concerning. Wow, that's a big statement, bold statement there from Dave Festchuk. We'll see. I'm with you, though. I think they need to make a move as well. And uh, next Friday, 3 p.m., we'll see if Kyle Dubas makes one. Uh, Kelly Chase still to join us in the 1 o'clock hour. I'm Mike DiStefano with Dave Festchuk of the Toronto Star. This is the Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050. This is Leafs Lunch on TSN 1050. The Leafs live here. Leafs Lunch is brought to you by Vanilla Visa Prepaid Cards, available for purchase at Petro Canada, the perfect gift for any occasion. 
I'm Mike DiStefano with Dave Festchuk of the Toronto Star, filling in for Julia to Sherry today. We got a poll question. Uh, well, more of a uh, not a poll question, but a question up on Twitter at Leafs Lunch 1050. If you could only have one, what would you like to see the Leafs do at the deadline? At a defenseman or another goalie? We just you and I just spent the last 15 minutes or so talking about adding a, a blue liner and, and the importance of doing that, but goaltending. Dave, do you think, like we heard Kyle Dubas a couple weeks ago come out and say, outside of goaltending, we're going to look to add to the forward and defensive group. But do you believe that they should add a goaltender? And do you think they will add a goaltender with this ominous injury of Matt Murray? I think they should. I'm not sure they will. I'm not sure they will. I mean, Mm. but should? Yes, they should. Because Matt Murray... We just had Craig Button on, and, and Craig Button reminded us that Matt Murray's injury history, which has been problematic in Toronto this year, you know, going back to the you know second game of the season when he couldn't make it out of the morning skate, this goes back to him not being able to make it out of warm-up for the opening game of a Stanley Cup playoffs yeah. for the Pittsburgh Penguins. When he Look, he, he's got his two rings, two more than both of us have got, and mo- almost every you know hockey player that's ever played this game has got, but... Man, I, I just have zero confidence that I can rely on Matt Murray to show up and play well, and let alone show up and play well, but just show up and play when it matters this season because he's got a track record of being penciled into the lineup or, heck, pe- heck penned into the lineup, sharpied into the lineup, and then <laughs> removing himself from the lineup at the worst possible moment. Honestly, Matt Murray is always in pencil. If I'm the coach, always being put on in in pencil. There, yeah, but according you can't have to, that. No, you can't. That's that's the biggest problem I think with Matt Murray. And if you're worried about that, do you have comfort in Joseph Wall or Eric Shogren being your backup and being one more injury away from being your tandem in the playoffs? Like that's that's the question that I think you got to ask yourself. Now the you know, answer you could give is, well, if any team loses their top two goalies, you're not going to like what option number three and four are. I understand no. that. But if you do have an opportunity and you know that one of your top two have been this unreliable and there's a stronger chance that you could have to go with your three or four at some point, that I think is, is why Kyle Dubas might look at it and say, maybe we do need to add something. Is it – whether they do or not, I think, is is – Obviously something that we won't know until March 3rd. But what I find peculiar is Matt Murray continues to to practice, though, throughout mm. this entire injury. Like, he is he was out there today at, at least practice working with, with Curtis Sanford, and I've seen him working out in pregame, getting some extra skates after uh, morning skates, and, and it, he looks fine. Like, I, it's just yeah. – it is peculiar to me – that there's this injury, it's flared up, and he's still a couple weeks away. Last we heard from Kyle Dubas last week, yet he's out there practicing and looks in fine form. It's just a little confusing. It's 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 confusing. Look, this is not the first time we've seen that type of phenomenon. Certainly, Freddie Anderson was a guy who looked ready. You know, coaches wondered if he was ready. They assumed he was ready, and yet he told them he wasn't ready. And look, look, I haven't walked in those shoes. I'm sympathetic to athletes that, you know, know their bodies and know when they're ready. And you can only ultimately, if the athlete says he's not ready, what are you going to do, fight that? You know, you can't can't chain him to the crease. You know, you can't force him to go out there if he says he's not ready. Uh, Some guys are 
always ready. And some guys will go out there, even if they don't feel ready, they feel an obligation to serve their team and serve their teammates in that moment and, you know, further their careers. There are guys like Matt Murray and Freddie Anderson who have built reputations as guys who maybe won't be ready. And you're never really quite sure if they're ready, even though I agree with you, Alice, brother. You watch him practice. He's sliding post to post. He's looking like a goaltender that can play in the NHL, and yet he's telling you he cannot play in the NHL. So that's a problem that is not easy to fix. In fact, impossible to fix because it's all about (laughs) Matt Murray's feelings about his readiness. Exactly. So whether or not uh, that factors into the equation when it comes to the trade deadline, I guess time will tell with that one. Uh, Kelly Chase, former Maple Leaf legend, two games, 27 pims. we got to get the story there. He'll join us in the 1 o'clock hour. I'm Mike DiStefano with Dave Festchuk. You'll listen to Leafs Lunch here on TSN 1050.